Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of July 23rd, 2018. Five years ago this week, in 2013, Pleasure Island's old comedy warehouse was demolished as part of the Disney Springs refurbishment that we've all grown, Jim, to know and love. And speaking of demolition, let's bring in our own one-man wrecking crew, Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? See, now you're making me sad. Do you remember the world of croutons when the comedy warehouse did its scripted show the way they made fun of Epcot is they had the show The World of Croutons. <laughs> no, I've never heard of this. Uh, the World of Croutons? Yeah. They managed to make fun of every single Epcot pavilion as part of The World of Croutons. Oh, we have to do a show on this, Jim. They managed to even fold in the dinosaurs because, again, when the dinosaurs dead out saw the rise of the crouton. <laughs> was sort of the Imagineer's way of saying, we've kind of had our fill of dealing with craft food, but. <laughs> that is fantastic. Jim, the, uh, we're going to have to do a show on this. Absolutely. Jim, the reason why I bring up Disney Springs is we have some news about some Disney Springs restaurants, but also uh, this is the show that goes over restaurant ratings for non-theme park restaurants. Remember a couple of months ago? We did a show on uh, the most popular and least popular restaurants in the Disney theme parks, and we got a tremendous number of comments from listeners who said we should do the same thing, but for the Disney and Universal resorts. So this is that show. Cool. Before we get started, though, some, uh, some news from Disney Springs. Number one, Frontera Cucina at Disney Springs recently got a new menu. So this is the Mexican place mm-hmm. that popped up a couple of years ago in Disney Springs. New menu, Rick Bayless was down to debut it the other night. It'll be interesting to see how that is received. My question for you, Jim, is how much of this do you think is a response to the opening of uh, Haleo that happens uh, later on this year? Oh, boy. We keep talking about Disney Springs as in, well, it's settled. It's done. That The project's locked, and, and that's really not the case. I mean... If you look at what's still going on at the West Side and... Oh, yeah. Are we allowed to talk about bongos yet or... <laughs> I was going to get there. Okay. Right. Just to back up. So Haleo is the new restaurant by Chef Jose Andres, which should be uh, opening in the fall of 2018. So this will be tapas and traditional and contemporary Spanish cuisine. Mm-hmm. And there are already a couple of established restaurants in Disney Springs with Latin food. Frontera Cucina is one of them. Obviously, the other one is Bongos. And that brings us to uh, to this news. So, Jim, we heard last week mm-hmm. in a hush-hush, secret-secret ceremony mm-hmm. that um, a new restaurant group has signed a deal to take over the Bongos location in Disney Springs. In theory, it is a prime piece of real estate. Yeah, we've said this for a number of years. It is Bongos is a huge restaurant. It's uh, two, at least two floors. It's got some outside seating. Mm-hmm. It's a tremendous amount of space in the middle of Disney Springs. The other thing about it is it does not get good reader survey responses in our surveys. So again, the average restaurant in Disney World gets a, a rating of about 89%. It's like everyone's a B plus student on average. Bongo's you know, mid 70s, which mm-hmm. is so far below average that we don't recommend it. And it's been sort of the butt of jokes for many years for us. It is almost certainly one of the least good restaurants in all of Walt Disney World. And that brings us to the second part of this news is that we're hearing that the new management will bring out a new restaurant concept that is not Cuban food. 
starting in late 2019. So what we're hearing is we expect the Bongo's restaurant to be demolished sometime in late 2019 and replaced with a completely different concept. There's no word yet on what that concept is. In fact, we don't even know who the new owners are. The only thing we were told was these owners are running restaurants successfully outside of Disney Springs right now, and that the concept that they're bringing in is already established and runs well outside of Disney Springs. So again, I mean, how much of this you think is like, how much of this you think, Jim, is uh, due to the existing competition in Disney Springs? So from Boathouse or Wine Bar George or Morimoto or, you know, any of their great places to eat or homecoming. And how much of it is looking looking at where Haleo is going literally around the corner or down the street from where Bongo's is? Yeah. The other thing that's important to mention here is we've had the Cirque du Soleil, La Nuba went dark almost eight months ago, and the new show is in concept form at this point. My understanding is that Disney is supposed to announce it within the next three to four months. And okay. when 2019... We've got the NBA experience opening. We've got this Bongo's replacement. We've got Aleo, and we've got Lanuba going in. Yep. That side of Disney Springs will basically catch on fire at that point. Right now, it's kind of an afterthought. Yeah, there's no anchor mm-hmm. on that side, right? Yeah. So this is all coming together in one, you know, it, it, don't get me wrong. It's going to be a difficult year next year what, with construction fences and that sort of thing. And Mm-hmm. You kind of got a feel for the bowling outfit down the street there, but they're doing fine. Just they'll be a little more difficult yeah. to get to. We keep talking about Disney Springs as it's done, and it's like, oh, yeah, the West Side. Forgot about that. So Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it'll be good to have a new concept in that space. Again, huge footprint oh, yeah. within Walt Disney World, within the Disney Springs. Lots of opportunity for for something better to go in there. And again, it, it raises the bar on the competition for everything else. So I think that's uh, that's good. And if you, you think about it, between its positioning next to the AMC, well, yeah, I keep calling it the AMC Pleasure Island. And likewise, <laughs> the very fact that when the Lanuba replacement comes online, you're going to be looking at people who want to either eat before the show or after the show. So or after the show, exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it's a killer location. But that's the thing about Bongo's is for a long time, it didn't have to be good, just given its location. Yeah, and now it does, yeah. Yeah. And we had, we had talked about, I think last year we had talked about sort of an ultimatum that we heard that Bongo's got where it was told to them that they either had to revamp the menu or the concept or their lease wouldn't be renewed when it was up. So we've heard about this. We knew that Disney... Management knew that they had an opportunity there. So this is just the other shoe dropping, right? Yeah, I just hope somebody gets in there and grabs all of that mosaic. Yeah, the tile work is actually pretty good. I mean, there's some there's some decent decor inside of Bongo's. Absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll see how much of that ends up at the cast member uh, property uh, store. Yeah, property control. Property control, exactly yeah. it. Uh, one other interesting thing that I was looking at while I was doing some research on this, have you seen how much Le Cellier's quality ratings have dropped in the last five years. Yeah. There's going to be a whole show about restaurants, Jim. <laughs> yeah. So in 2014, in 2014, mm-hmm. Le was uh, on our, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down reader surveys, was mm-hmm. getting around 91, 92%. Put it at the top, near the top of all Walt Disney World restaurants. And we called it that. And then remember Disney, you know, capitalizing on this, did a couple of things. One is they made it a signature restaurant, which greatly increased the price of meals at La Cellier. The other thing they did was standardize 
the menu so that the lunch and dinner menus were exactly the same. Five years later, the quality rating has dropped from 92% to 85%. Again, the average restaurant in Walt Disney World is 89%. 85% is a couple of standard deviations below average. It's probably like 10 standard deviations at this point, given the number of surveys that we get. So 85% below average. That's kind of disappointing, isn't it? I know, I agree, but I just, I have to wonder how much of that is, you know, when you boost the your, your price point and you take the lunch menu and the dinnertime menu and basically mm -hmm. make them the same, how much of that came back to sort of bite them in the butt? People sitting down and, you know, looking at the higher price tags and not getting the variety or... I remember when this place opened at 82 as a buffeteria. Yeah. When you get inside of that restaurant, there's still enough bones of the buffeteria where I honestly wish, I guess, Le Cellier out ahead of the, the 50th could see a reimagining, a repositioning. If you think about the grounds, you think about where it's located, there was a reason that it was beloved. And it, this happens with rest, restaurants over time. Whether it's the staff gets complacent or the kitchen crew, you got to keep them on the ball. And Yeah, uh, oh, I will note that... <laughs> The uh, prices definitely have something to do with La Cellier. At least my guess is mm -hmm. the prices have to do. The ribeye is $54. Uh, $54 oh. for a ribeye is a lot of money. You know, when the loan officer comes over with the menu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your waiter comes in, offers you some pretzel bread gives you the menu and then says the uh, the loan officer will be by in a minute to uh, to help you with your order. <laughs> yeah, god. Oh, wow. Now I, I understand that your credit score is 750. You'll see that the menu is divided. <laughs> <laughs> Page oh. 2 is for people whose credit scores are under 800. Exactly. Oh, god, wow. Okay. <laughs> It's not, right. not too far from that. Yeah. All right, Jim, uh, time for a couple of uh, quick listener questions. Mm -hmm. uh, this one from Eddie. Dear Jim and Len, my wife, two kids, and I are planning on going to Disney World in December of 2019. Half the reason is that we haven't been for Christmas in Disney before, and the other half is for the spectacle that will be the opening few weeks of Galaxy's Edge. I totally get this, Eddie. Our dilemma is that we're scared Galaxy's Edge won't be open yet, or that the crowds at that time will be unbearable, not only in Hollywood Studios, but for the rest of the world. Should we plan an entire second vacation in February in the hopes that it will be less crowded? And then we would obviously cancel one of our trips. Or is February still pushing it too close? So, Jim, what do you think? We know that Galaxy's Edge is supposed to open late fall of 2019. We've noted before that late fall is December 21st. Yeah. We just saw this past, within the past three weeks or so, how close they cut it with Toy Story Land. People have really appreciated the, the decor, especially at night and that sort of thing. But... They had their hard, it's going to open on June 30th, and just the fact that we're seeing the pass holder events pushed off to September and that sort of thing, I'm not hearing good news coming off of the work site, as in, boy, we're ahead of schedule, or boy, things are going easy. The Black Spire Outpost, Disney's never done anything like this before. Yeah, the level of detail and the level of technology that's yeah. integrated into the into the land is phenomenal. By the way, just as a quick aside here, did you see that the I-4 construction project is now eight months behind schedule because of weather delays? And I think that plays into um, what Disney might be seeing too, in terms of weather. The Sentinel just did this amazing story about that. It's not just eight months behind, it's $100 million over budget, 
they were talking about the number of cars that have been damaged. Yeah. But I was telling Nancy the car. I grew up in New England where it's like the big dig was what, 15 years behind schedule yeah. and, and yeah. 400% over budget. And it was like, oh, eight months. What are you talking about? Oh, <laughs> please. You <laughs> the, amateurs. The legal paperwork for the lawsuits won't even be filed in eight months. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you know it's not a problem. When the issue can be resolved prior to all the paperwork <laughs> being filed in court, not really a problem. At least go. that's what my Uncle Vinny used to say. My concern is that if they aren't able to get this open till the late fall, I would just hate to be in a situation where you know, you've booked planes, you've booked hotel rooms. Len will tell you, there's nothing quite like being next to a new land or a new part of the park that's going to open in two days and you're going home. Yeah. <laughs> it's very frustrating. Especially yeah. when you've made a special trip to be there, to see something, to preview and walk. But that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. They open when they're ready. I mean, to, to Eddie's point, even if it is ready yeah. in December, the mm -hmm. crowds will be insane. They will. They will. Right. So if Eddie's saying we don't want to go if it's not open or if the crowds are crazy, both of those things will be could be true in 2019, and the cries will will definitely be crazy. Here's the here's the concern that I have. Mm -hmm. February is is Eddie's alternate time. Yeah. If you look at when uh, President's Day week and when Mardi Gras yeah. fall in February, those are both big holidays. It's the last basically the last two weeks of February. Mm -hmm. Monday, February 17th, 2020 is President's Day. The following week is when Mardi Gras uh, hits. So Eddie, if you want to go. I'm thinking the first half of February is going to be better than the second half of February, if that helps out. Still likely to be crazy for Galaxy's Edge, but not not quite as insane as, uh, as December or you know the second half of the month. Let's not forget about the joy of traveling by air or by road that time of year. But what am I talking about? Just yesterday, they had that, that huge line of thunderstorms come through, and JFK was total shutdown for hours. They couldn't fly anything in or out. Oh, yeah. It was a crazy amount of weather here. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there is no ideal time, Eddie, but Len's right. If it were me, I would default to February just to be safe. Yeah. And I'd still be ready for some pretty crazy crowds. So plan on you go to Disney Hollywood Studios and you spend the day getting into Star Wars land and then come back another day to see the studio. Exactly. All right. Uh, a quick question here from Rich. Why are more Disney Park products not available for purchase on the shop Disney Parks app. When the app debuted, I thought it was great. I could order non-perishable items like shirts, glasses, and et cetera, that uh, you could only get in the parks. Now it seems as if the majority of the products are in-store only purchases. What gives? Seems like an untapped revenue stream to me. So Jim, what uh, what is the purpose of the Shop Disney Parks app if you can't get things in the parks on the app? Well, a couple of things came back and bit them in the butt. I'm trying to remember what product sold out instantaneously and led to some really really ugly exchanges online but what they've discovered most recently is that with like the t-shirts and the mugs and that sort of thing that were created exclusively for the closure of the the great movie ride you could go into the on-site store there or you know people were like hey i'd love to order that and it's like well, okay, here's the thing. I, you can either have the petite or the the triple or the quadruple yeah. X. That's, that's what we have, yeah. All the mediums are gone. Yeah. There's also been enough times where Disney has guessed wrong, where they've had to move these huge piles of stuff to the outlets and to the, as we were just mentioning, the 
cast member only you know store backstage so what you're saying is that when they open up in park stuff to online demand yep. the swings in demand are so great that they don't know how much to order of each so if they if they over order then they have to sell it all at a discount if they under order it just makes people mad yeah oh, all right that makes sense but at the same time they recognize we have two things coming up that are going to be retail madness and and one obviously Galaxy's Edge, you know, opening tail in the next year. Yeah. And then everything related to the 50th anniversary. So they are genuinely trying to deal with this. But just as we saw early this week with Amazon and the, their whole Amazon Prime day and a half sale and how that blew up, it's like even the most experienced companies with the, the heaviest infrastructure still have problems. And there's actually been a lot of pushback lately about the fact that Disney, frankly, has not been all that smart or all that aggressive about changing out its retail technology. I mean, oh yeah, just the chip readers, just the number of places around property where everywhere else you could drive out to 192 and at Target use your credit card with a chip, whereas on Disney property, it's like, what is this chip? <laughs> But there's this chip of which you speak. Yeah, I guess. Yes, so. All right. It's, uh, that's good to know. All right. One last question uh, from Xavier. Uh, we had an all-male cast of questions today. From Xavier. Hey, guys. I live in California. I'm a Disneyland AP holder. I love hearing your podcast. Keep up the good work. Here's my question. I'm a big Disney parade fan, and I love all the parades. My question is, and Jim, we should probably take this as a topic for an upcoming show, is... But the question is this, has there ever been a parade that was planned for uh, Disneyland or DCA, but never became a reality? Parades. So there's more than one. All right. We should probably do a show on this, but what, uh, okay. what were they? I think my favorite of the bunch was the Lightkeepers parade. This, this was actually for the, it actually keyed off of the version of Tomorrowland that got canceled for California. But, but literally the, the parade was supposed to start off with, they were going to do a simulated UFO landing out behind Small World, and then the gates were going to open, and you'd have mm -hmm. all of these alien races march. You know, Jim, in California, mm -hmm. I'm thinking the crowd reaction to aliens landing would be half terror and half let's go put flowers in their hair <laughs> type thing, right? I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there would be any, anything more than two reactions. Let's let's be friends with the aliens and and let's run away as fast as we can. Yeah. Again, now that Bob Chapek is in charge of parks, experiences, and consumer products, everything I've been hearing from the entertainment folks out ahead of the parades that are planned for you know the 50th anniversary at, at Walt Disney World and likewise the stuff that's under consideration for Disneyland and DCA. It's all about IP. And yeah. with everything that's being planned for the Hollywood overhaul, the new Marvel-themed area. Oh, oh, and speaking of which, I, I wanted to ask that, remember the patent information you had about the Spider-Man? Yep, the uh, big swinging ride, yep. Was there any mention of how big a footprint that building was supposed to have? Oh, it was massive. Okay, because... Between the Galaxy's Edge coaster, which, again, if you've been to the Epcot parking lot lately and seen how that thing is starting to blot out the sun, mm -hmm. likewise, some stats have recently come in for the 
frozen attraction that's in the works for Tokyo Disney Seas for the, the brand new land they're building that's going to have the Tangled Element, the Peter Pan, and but that show building for the frozen ride, 60,000 square feet. I mean, there are some, some huge, huge, huge attractions now in the works. Given the noises that are coming out of, of Universal, I mean, we've talked about this being an arms race, Len. It mm-hmm. really is starting to shape up. As an arm door. 60,000 square feet is basically, is bigger than a football field. It's, it's 300 by 200. That's, that's massive. Yeah. For and, show building. and, you know, when you picture that that's the footprint, when you think about how much, how many show scenes they managed to cram into the old Maelstrom building. Yeah. Look at that and think about a football sized space. And it's like, what sort of ride could you put in there? What sort of show scenes will we see? But interesting. All right. So circling back to the uh, circling back to the parade. Yep. Thing. So everything's based on IP. Mm-hmm. That's what's uh, that's what's coming up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And remember, with the repositioning of that park between yep. the Pixar elements and the Marvel elements, we're only just seeing entertainment do things of size and scale. With the Marvel characters, in fact, with what's going on at Walt Disney Studios Paris this summer, the projected show that they're doing inside of the old Cinemagique Theater has gotten <sighs> really, really great reviews. But it's one of these things where you have four or five cast members playing Captain America, Spider-Man, Black Widow, Iron Man. But again, they're they're interacting with full-size Hulks on screen and full-size Thanoses. It really is kind of a proof of concept for what they'd like to try to do as they head east with these things. Disney World, and again, working around that, the master licensing agreement with Universal, but but likewise for California, that there's some really impressive stuff going. All right, so uh, let's let's take it as a to-do item to do some research on Disneyland parades that never became reality. How's that sound? Writing it down now. Awesome. I think that's a great topic. Thanks, Xavier, for, uh, for sending that in. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jim, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will go over the most and least popular restaurants around the Disney and Universal resorts. How's that sound? Getting my lobster bib on now. (laughs) We'll be right back, folks. And we're back. All right, James, a couple of months ago, we did a show that detailed the best and worst theme park restaurants in Orlando. We got a lot of reader comments on that, asking us to do the exact same thing, but for the Disney and Universal hotels. So let's do that now. I've got the most recent touringplans.com reader survey data over the last year for all of Walt Disney World's more than 145,000 reader surveys on dining. So again, for context, you know, the average restaurant is uh, rated about 89% thumbs up from our readers. Again, that's a solid B+. And again, we, uh, we ask our readers for a simple yes or no, thumbs up, thumbs down rating. By the way, uh, did you notice that uh, Netflix is doing the exact same thing now? They've gotten rid of reader surveys and they're going with a simple thumbs up, thumbs down scale as well. Wow. <laughs> okay. You know, that, that Roman Coliseum training really is paying off. <laughs> exactly. You know. We've all seen History of the World. That's where I got mine from. There we go. All right. So let's start with the Magic Kingdom Resorts, James, the highest rated restaurant. In fact, uh, the highest rated restaurant in the Magic Kingdom Resort area, in fact, the highest rated restaurant in all of Walt Disney World, moderately surprising, is Victoria and Albert's at the Grand Floridian. Of the 82 surveys we've got in the last 12 months, 99%, that's 81 of them, have been positive. There was one negative. I would love to hear from that one Mm -hmm. person who said they didn't enjoy it. But this is surprising. 
for a couple of reasons. One is for the last couple of years, Victorian Alberts has not been the highest rated restaurant in Walt Disney World. It's typically been, I mean, it's been top five, maybe mm-hmm. top 10, but it has never been number one. This is clearly, clearly number one at this point. And we all know that it's super expensive, but the food is really, really good. It is inarguably the best food, I think, in Walt Disney World. What do you think, Jim? And let's not forget about the presentation. I mean, the staff there, yeah. it's always dinner and a show. Yeah. You just feel beyond pampered. But with that sort of change in the lineup for it to move on from top five to number one, yeah, have they changed out the menu? Have they, is there a new chef? I mean, uh, what could have caused this? Scott Hunnell's always been the executive chef. And the food's always been good. The service has always been excellent. I think you and I have talked about the service component before where I've asked some crazy questions at Victorian Alberts before and always got solid answers. Mm-hmm. We talked about the one time where I asked the sommelier to bring me wine that didn't go with my meal. That was hysterical. Oh, God, but that's also, right. you know, yeah. You can also ask questions like, where did the silverware come from or where did this dish come from? Like literally, where did this plate come from? And the servers know all of that. Mm-hmm. I think I've told the story before about asking about a wooden bowl that was used for salad and the server telling me, you know, basically the history of the tree <laughs> from which the bowl, <laughs> the bowl was derived somewhere in New England. You know, it's, it's that level of detail, you know, on the service. It's all excellent. I think for them, the, the individual components have always been there. The chef has always been there. The food quality has always been there. The presentation has always been there. The service has always been there. It's just a matter of tightening everything up mm-hmm. to make it flawless. And I think that's, that's what gets them uh, that high. Interestingly, uh, the number two mm-hmm. rated restaurant in the Magic Kingdom Resort area is a bit of a surprise to me. You want to take a guess as what it is? Not the wave. Nope. Mm. Does Whispering Canyon count as a oh yeah Magic table Kingdom? service? Yeah. yeah, yeah, both there. Yeah, no, not in the top ten. Okay, I mean they're good. They're above average. Not t- Hoopty Doo Musical Review number two. Holy cow! Four hundred and twenty-four surveys, ninety-six percent thumbs up. I, I don't think this is for the food, though, Jim. This has got to be for the entertainment. Yeah. The food is okay. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, don't they serve like ribs in a bucket? Oh, yeah. Which, again, nothing wrong with ribs being served in a bucket. No. Nope. Absolutely nope. fine. Nope. Right? There must be an incredible number of bear pun fans. <laughs> it's always been, you know, this sort of rock of the Disney World experience. I mean, when you think about, what, 75, 76? Yeah, it's been around. We've done shows on this on the history of the uh, on the history of the presentation there. Yeah, of the stage show. And yeah. just recently, in fact, with the uh, my understanding is that the Disney weddings folks, the folks who were doing the new series they're doing on Freeform, and evidently mm-hmm. there is a God help us a hoopty do wedding coming, and they've supposedly roped in the cast and the food and a big <sighs> fun. If the reception's not held at Country Bear Jamboree, an opportunity <laughs> will have been missed. <sighs> I don't know what to tell you. That kind of makes my heart smile. I mean, I've always enjoyed my visits there. And, and sometimes a decade or more will go by since I get back there. But it's always, it's just, it's amazing that this show still works. That, you know, from the moment you mm-hmm. hear that stagecoach pull out front, this is a good time. It's good to see it getting that many high ratings. I agree. So I agree. N- Next up, you want to take a take a stab at uh, this is another sort of out of left field answer. It's at the Grand Floridian. You want to take a guess as what is uh, what is the next? Not nineteen hundred Park Fair. So the one that's out by the the water, you you get to watch Circe. Narcusi. No, Narcusi. actually, it is Narcusi is very highly rated. Yeah, but I'm thinking of something. This is in the main building. 
Really? And the fact that you can't guess it means it's probably overlooked by, by a lot of our listeners. Mm. I will tell you what it is. The Garden View Tea Room. Have you ever had tea service at the Grand Floridian? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. That, oh, it's fantastic. It is. It's got more expensive over the last couple of years because I think Disney knows what they have in it. Mm-hmm. But as, as far as a tea service and service goes, I've had better tea services in London. Mm-hmm. But in the United States, it's hard to find something that, that's that good. You know, I, I can't help but notice, Lynn, here, you're one, two, three on this list. The food is, is good, uh, all three of these. But these are more experiences than anything else. I mean, you know, you're That's having... a great point. Yeah. You know, you're having a dining experience. So... It's an experience. Does this continue with our number four, or... It does, actually. Oh, wow. California Grill. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Uh, 634 surveys in the past year for California Grill, 588 of them. That's 93% positive. Obviously, California Grill has uh, good food. Mm-hmm. It's got a pretty wide-ranging menu, pan-Asian influence. But I think the big draw here for dinner is the fireworks that you see. Oh, yeah, the view. From the Magic Kingdom at night, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do we ever actually get back to, to and the food is good? <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, so we're, we're talking here about table service and counter service restaurants. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the bars and lounges, mm-hmm. bars and lounges are almost uniformly all rated high in Walt Disney World. But the third rated entity at the Magic Kingdom Resort area, the second highest rated bar is uh, Top of the World Lounge, 96% thumbs up. So again, that goes along with the, the whole experience thing. Mm. I could see that. So we'll do a couple more, and I'll just read these off in order, then we'll talk about the ones at the uh, the bottom. So mm-hmm. the next group, after California Grill, all grouped together in the 92% thumbs up. Uh, Trails End Restaurant, which is the buffet over at Cabins at Fort Wilderness, mm-hmm. the Grand Floridian Cafe, and the uh, Gasparilla Island Grill, which is counter service, okay. um, also doing really, really well there. Mm-hmm. All good, solid choices. Yeah. So a couple of other places that are still rated above average. Narcusi's Artist Point, 1900 Park Fair, Whispering Canyon, The Wave, Citricos, Ohana. And the Kona Cafe actually comes in right exactly at average at, at 89%. There are only a handful of things that are not rated fairly solidly at the Magic Kingdom Resort area. I will mention two of them. The lowest rated thing, 230 surveys. 179 of them say they're positive. That's only 78%. Mm-hmm. The Spirit of Aloha Dinner Show at the Polynesian. Yeah. I've been to all the Disney dinner shows. I like this one the least. Mm-hmm. The thing that I wrote about in the review is when the food comes out, the only thing it's good for is demonstrating how hard it must be to cook for 200 people at a time. It, really, it was just, it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. You're there for the show yeah. and, and I guess for the ambiance. I get it. Uh, I don't think the show is actually that good. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if this got an overhaul. The thing that surprised me, though, so not far up from the bottom of this list, mm-hmm. Chef Mickey's, 1,034 surveys, 859 of them, that's 83% thumbs up. In normal circumstances, 83% thumbs up would be decent. In Disney World, it's far below average. I've been to Chef Mickey's recently, have you? It's been a while, but I, I have to tell you, I think really what this is, it honestly about is the aggressive pricing. How often has the price point of this been boosted over the last five to 10 years? A lot. So I think, I think it's a combination of things. One, definitely the price. Number two, the difficulty in getting into it. I mean, yeah. not only do you have to pay a lot of money to get into Chef Mickey's, but you've got to jump through a lot of hoops mm-hmm. to get in. Reservations are fairly difficult to get for in-demand dining times, just like lots of places in Walt Disney World. But I think the thing here that, that did it for me isn't the character greetings. The character greetings are fine. Mm-hmm. But 
the setting itself for Chef Mickey's is, and this is Laurel's quote, uh, but I, I subscribe to it uh, wholeheartedly. It's like eating in a daycare. And what I mean for that is not the kids. The kids are fine, mm-hmm. right? You don't eat in Walt Disney World without understanding that kids will be kids. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about, though, is the decor of Chef Mickey's is really simple, primary colors, and basic. It, it looks like the inside of a daycare. The other thing is a Chef Mickey's has relatively low ceilings, especially for the contemporary. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're in the contemporary lobby, I mean, you can see up, what, eight, nine, ten floors. Mm-hmm. It's the Grand Concourse, right? It's open. But you get into Chef Mickey's, and it's relatively low ceilings. I think they must be like nine-foot ceilings. So the feeling is that you're in a relatively short daycare. And the food is not spectacular. I think the best thing I had on the the last sort of brunch that I was there was, was literally the Mickey waffles. Bacon is bacon. Everything else is what it was. It's not spectacular food for the money. It's difficult to get into. The setting isn't really that good. I think that's dragging it down. Well, what you've discovered with your survey here is actually been borne out by Disney's own internal surveys. Oh, yeah. But the problem is the place is so profitable. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, people still go, okay, a thousand surveys, Jim, a thousand surveys. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know. that's, that's two people a day. Right. Two people, three people a day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going just, and, and when you consider the response rate on surveys for us is like 5%. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a ton of people going to, to Chef Mickey's, right? Yeah. Evidently at the food lab that Disney has set up where they're doing all the work, you know, right now getting ready out ahead of the opening of, a Batu and that sort of thing, but evidently that the, mm-hmm. there's a long-term project underway about recognizing that character dining could be so much more. But you know, again, the argument is when you look at like the Crystal Palace, when you look at Chef Mickey's at the Contemporary, yeah. the huge lines, it's like there is just no incentive to change. That, that's it. You know. Yeah, I mean, if the thing is selling out mm-hmm. right every day, mm-hmm. and you're able to charge a premium for it. The economics of closing it down for a six-month refurbishment, yeah. you know, to gain what five percent more in profit, ten percent more—that's mm-hmm. that's not going to cut it. It really has to be like we're going to shut this down for six months, but we'll be able to double our money in a year. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that Disney looks for. They, they could be at a point where, you know, major refurbishments don't make sense. No, they're trapped in a local minima, as it were, mm-hmm. or local maxima. Anyway, so depending on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. By the way, speaking of a number of surveys, the most surveys we got in this area. Mm-hmm. Do you want to guess what it's for? No. Ohana, 1,700 surveys in 12 months. So again, about uh, it's about four a day, 90% thumbs up. I just ate at Ohana. We talked about that. 90% thumbs up. I can I can see that. I can rationalize that. But any was there any decrease in the number? Because remember what you were talking about, the sort of the speed Ohana experience of you're sitting down and, you know, here's your hors d'oeuvres and here's your hat and your coat. What's your hurry? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look. I didn't. I didn't sense anything on it. Okay. It may have, you know, one one or two points, I guess, mm-hmm. over the course of a year is probably fine. I'll go back and look. That's a good question. Okay. Let's move on to the Epcot resorts. So I'll. Uh, we'll, there aren't as many here, so we can uh, we can break these out into uh, table service, uh, counter service, and bars and lounge. Mm-hmm. Jim, what's your guess here as to the top rated table service restaurant in the Epcot Resort area? Cape May. Third. All right. Okay. What's number one? Beaches and Cream Soda Shop. Really? 601 surveys, 92% thumbs up. And how many yeah. of those I mean, people ate the kitchen sink? 
Yeah, that's <laughs> apparently the, uh, the the people who the the forty seven people who didn't rate a thumbs up uh, passed away during eating the, uh, the of the of the kitchen sink. And the thing is, I mean, the food here is good. The burgers are are good mm-hmm. at Peaches and Cream, and the ice cream is good. It is tiny, mm-hmm. right? It's also difficult to get into. The six hundred one servers we got, I think, is literally everyone that could fit into the into the restaurant over the course of a year. But Peaches and Cream has been consistently rated top restaurant there. The only thing I would say about Beaches and Cream, I think the fries could be better. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, nothing wrong with hamburgers and ice cream, right? Yeah, I just, I'm kind of startled at that number. Because again, the, the very thing you're talking about, it, it's tiny. It's one of these places where you really don't feel like you can linger because there's always people waiting to get in. So you don't dawdle over a meal or that sort of thing. So that's that's an intriguing number for that space. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've you know, yeah. had some, some fun times there, but that high. Wow. All right. So we've already said uh, Cape Med Cafe is uh, is number three, 570 surveys, 91% thumbs up. But two and four, places two and four mm-hmm. surprised me a little bit here. Number two, mm-hmm. you want to take a guess? It's relatively new. Okay. Would this be the replacement for Shula? Nope. It's uh, Trattoria Al Forno. Really? At the boardwalk, the Italian place. Yeah, that went in after Cat Cora's uh, place. Mm-hmm. So uh, 595 surveys. 91% thumbs up. A couple of things here that were interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, they added a character meal mm-hmm. uh, a few months ago that I think has a character meal breakfast that has helped with demand. But number two, we kind of knew that things were going pretty well for them when they added on uh, extended breakfast hours and brunch a little while back. I think you know dinner here is, is competent for what it is Italian. Competent to good. Mm-hmm. 91% thumbs up is, again, a couple of points above average. I think that's at the upper end of what I would rate Trattoria. Like my experiences there haven't been that great, but uh, uh, apparently people like it. Wow! It could be this experience thing though, too, Jeb. Right? It could be that the uh, the character meal. This is true. I'm going to be intrigued to see what happens with a lot of these, you know, the Magic Kingdom Resort and Epcot Resort and that sort of thing with this new must pay to park thing. Yeah. Used to be again, you had a dining reservation, then happily wave you in and wonder what this is going to do to next year's numbers. We'll see. Okay. So uh, a couple of other, um, uh, one, actually one other uh, restaurant of note, Il Molino over at the Swan, 90% thumbs up. Granted, 48 surveys, mm-hmm. still statistically significant, but 48 is relatively low for what we get. The thing that surprises me here is that Il Molino has been not rated highly. They've been rated low for a long time. And to see them uh, at that high of a, a rating, 90% is, is good. I'm going to have to go over there and, over and see how that's uh, that's doing. I know that's uh, part of a chain. Mm-hmm. It's also here in New York, so maybe that'll be a good comparison. Okay. All right. So let's talk about what's at the bottom of the table service list. Mm-hmm. A few things stand out here. None of them should be surprises. The ESPN Club, seventy-eight percent percent thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, Big River Grill and Brewing Works, which is the sort of the brew pub mm-hmm. place, seventy-five percent thumbs up. Captain's Grill at the Yacht Club. This is uh, this just reopened back in October of. 2017, 74% thumbs up. It is, I think that our readers have that exactly right. It's exactly how I would rate, uh, rate Captain's Grill. It's not, it's the kind of food that you get when you don't want to leave the resort. And I'll leave it at that. Oh. There are a couple of other places over at the Swan, uh, the Garden Grove, the Splash Terrace mm-hmm. that also don't get rated highly, but, uh, but we don't have enough. I would say we have only like 30 or 40 responses for those. I wouldn't really say, uh, say anything there. Let's move on to uh, to bars and lounges real quick, mm-hmm. and we'll do counter service too. Mm-hmm. So the highest rated bar and lounge in the Epcot area is Jim Abracadabra. Fourth uh, uh, place, uh, Bellevue Lounge. 
Oh. The boardwalk. I've been here uh, a number of times, both for breakfast and for late night drinks. And I'm not saying that the late night drinks actually extended into breakfast. I'm not saying <laughs> either way. But the thing here, this is tiny. It's a tiny place. Yeah. They do uh, a decent uh, breakfast service mm-hmm. entry. I think the thing that makes this place good is I have invariably got friendly, good service mm-hmm. at the Bellevue Lounge. And I, uh, you know, it, 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 like I said, it's a tiny place. It's got really comfortable seating. Yeah. It's right off the lobby mm-hmm. of, the, uh, of the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. But I think the service here is the thing that gets these ratings. 95% thumbs up. They have that wonderful ability to be there when you need them and then back off, you know, to disappear. They, yeah. You know, I mean, just, well, you and I, you and I have, have been here a couple of times together where we were yeah. getting ready for events and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's just, it's, it's, it's wonderful little, but you're right. It's that, you know, I mean, it, 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 there are broom closets that really, you know, that, that yeah. have more space, but I don't know that that's wild that they get that high rating though. Also doing really well, uh, boardwalk bakery and leaping horse libations over there but the boardwalk bakery is has always been been rated pretty high that's you can't go wrong with uh with baked goods at the boardwalk right no if you walk outside coffee and you know watch the world go by that no i I think that's a very pleasant experience most of the places that are rated low here are sort of like either strange offerings like food trucks at the dolphin Mm. or uh something like food service places that were inserted where they shouldn't be. So like the food served at the beach club marketplace does not get really high ratings. Remember, this is where they carved out part of a retail shop yeah. and put in sort of a grill. Yeah. So 332 mm-hmm. reader surveys, 66% thumbs up. That's not very <laughs> good there. But again, mm-hmm. if you're going to these places, you're buying you know, prepackaged things, right? And let's face it. That's more about, I have to get back to my convention meeting. You know, just run in and grab yeah. back upstairs. Two things that surprised me in this reader survey were the ratings for Flying Fish mm-hmm. and Todd English's Blue Zoo. Both of them were rated below average, 84% for Flying Fish, 83% for Blue Zoo. Flying Fish at 84%, they just went through a, uh, a refurb mm-hmm. within the last year or so. To see 84%, which again is, is, is well below average, that's moderately surprising. I think for Todd English's Blue Zoo, the stuff that I've got there that's been really good this is a seafood place, mm-hmm. so so take this into account. The the things that I've got there that are really good are the steaks and the bar food. <laughs> so I I think there's there's something going on there. We'll we'll see what happens. I may have to go back and revisit that. Okay, this was a redo within the past year, two years. I mean, yeah, relatively recent. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of the things that, like when you were talking about the captain's grill, it's sort of like okay, they're coming back from rehab, and it, sometimes it takes a restaurant time to find its feet again but it's like if you're a year or two in that's concerning yeah like you should have you should have figured all of this out mm-hmm. all right let's just do the uh, the rest of the uh the resorts real quick mm-hmm. uh this includes the animal kingdom areas all of the other dvcs that aren't related to the magic kingdom and epcot so starting with animal kingdom lodge both uh kadani and jumbo house the three highest rated table services in this area are all there uh Gico at 95 percent 342 surveys mm-hmm. sanaa 94%, 652 surveys. And then BOMA, uh, 94%, 894 surveys. I say BOMA despite the fact that the manager there, mm-hmm. little little crazy, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, that's a joke. Uh, actually, the uh, the manager is a dear friend of ours mm-hmm. uh, over there. So shout out to her. Mm-hmm. She's obviously doing good work if that's uh, if that's doing well. Yeah. I mean, th- these have been these have been highly rated for forever. Yeah. And, and, Damn right. And deservedly so. It's a combination of great food, amazing atmosphere crazy dedicated staff 
and just the, the fact yeah. that people had such a great time previously that they keep circling back to these. They they want to re, going to replicate the experience they had their last vacation. So it's like we got to go to Boma. We got to go to Gico. It's the way it is. And speaking of the uh, the people that have been going there forever, uh, a place over at Old Key West also ranked pretty high. Olivia uh, Olivia's Cafe, ninety three percent thumbs up. So if you're if you're eating at Olivia's Cafe, that means you you're probably a an Old Key West DVC owner, which means you've been coming there for twenty years. Mm-hmm. I've only eaten breakfast and dinner here. I've never had lunch at Olivia's Cafe. I got to go for lunch one day. Service is good, food's good. You know, no complaints. When you get over there and you're doing that. This is what Disney originally envisioned the DVC vacation experience to be. That always makes me a little crazy that you know, when you get over there and you see the size of things and the scale, and this was the trial run, and then you, you look at where they've gone to, and it's like, can we go back to that? Exactly. The places that don't do well in this area uh, will all be shocked to hear this. The uh, It ends up being uh, shutters at Old Port Royal, which has been shuttered. Mm. 64% thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Again, nothing with that low of a rating has ever survived for long mm-hmm. uh, on this. But also, the uh, jumping into the counter service stuff, the old, old Port Royal food court, 61% thumbs up. I think at this point, you've got to be punching customers in the face <laughs> to get to get a rating that that low. One of the issues with old Port Royal right now is there is no old Port Royal. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but they're redoing it, and it should be better, actually. So I mean, I did tell you about going there, right? I had not gotten the memo. I mean, I arrived, and I checked in my Caribbean Beach hotel room, and there was actually a little, like, cooler pack with, like, that Cheerios, you know, individual Cheerios and a, a thing of it. And I didn't put it together <laughs> that that meant the food court was <laughs> shut down. Shut <laughs> They, they handed you a box of uh, army meals ready to eat from uh, the Korean War no, and that, said, exactly. these are almost certainly still good, Cheers. probably. So I'm an idiot. I get up the next morning and I, I step around what I think is like a, a construction fence that's been set up because they're cleaning. And I actually yeah. walk over to Old Port Rail and open the door, which again, should have paid attention because it was being held open with an upside down salad bowl. <laughs> and walked in and a bunch of construction workers looked at me like, this is a construction site, putz. Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe there's there's a number of folks who gave it back. Hi, Mark says I went. You know, I went to go have breakfast. It was a gutted building. That's not what I expect, Disney. So, <laughs> I think uh, I think that's that's part of it. It, it wasn't good mm-hmm. when it uh, when it started, but uh, hopefully it'll uh, it'll be better. Um, so, a couple of other things related to this: the food courts tend to get slightly below average ratings. So. Everything pop, 88%. That's actually right at average. Mm-hmm. Landscape of Flavors, which I think is the best food court over at Art of Animation, mm-hmm. 87%. If you look at what the All-Stars are getting, the world premier food court at movies, 84%. The sports uh, end zone food court, 84% at all, as well. The music food court, somehow definitely worse at 79%. So you would think that all of the All-Stars would have relatively the same food courts, but it turns out that music is substantially worse than everyone else. That is moderately surprising. The thing that that is also surprising is that Portland's French Quarter, the Sassagula Floatworks and Food Factory, mm-hmm. 90% thumbs up on more than 700 surveys. That's much better than what we see at other moderate or value resorts. So they're, they're doing something right over there at French Quarter. Oh, good for them. Are we talking decor? Are we? It does have the smallest crowds. Yeah. The other interesting thing is the Riverside Mill food court over at uh, Riverside, 725 surveys, 84% thumbs up. So 6% difference Mm -hmm. 
on about the same number of surveys. So definitely if you're at uh, Riverside, it's probably worth a walk over to French Quarter just for the food. No, I've done this. I've done this before. Okay. You stay in one of the Magnolia Bend sections, quick walk over to French Quarter for some uh, some variety of food. Duly noted. All right, Jim, we're, uh, we're running out of time here right now. Let's, uh, let's save the Universal Restaurant uh, ratings for another show. How's that sound? That works for me. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. Don't forget, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes or Stitcher or grab the nearest menu and write on the back of it your show ideas and what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.